0: Across the city and South Cambridgeshire.
1: On FM, digital and your mobile.
0: Cambridge 105 Radio. I'm going to read you the menu.
2: It's fantastic.
3: So we get better flavour because of the fen soil.
2: I've drunk more beer
4: since I came here and bought my two barrels than I've ever done in my life before, I think.
1: I
5: shouldn't have said almonds. They don't make it from almonds. (laughs) you've got this big sticky mess when you start off.
3: Pizza pots pies.
5: My wife's cakes are selling at hot cakes. <laughs> Brilliant, thank you.
2: The time is right for this sort of thing. Food oh, is everything. Yeah, yeah. Cambridge yeah. is right for this sort of thing. What's
5: it like? Gimmy dishes. <laughs> <laughs> Good afternoon, welcome to Flavour and you are listening to Matt Bentman, Alan Alda and Sue Bailey and this is our look at food and drink in and around Cambridge. Today, we look at how to reduce
6: your energy use in the kitchen. We get foraging advice from Steve Thompson, the
0: foraging chef, and hear about his forthcoming pop-up just outside Cambridge. Mark Poynton's first book was published yesterday and he tells us what's in it. And a well-known Cambridge pub has had a makeover and is focusing much more on quality food, including a monthly
5: tasting menu. And we've plenty of food and drink news too and lots of information about jobs at the end of the programme.
6: But first, there's been a lot on the news recently about COP26 and climate change, and in fact there's a rally in Cambridge this afternoon about it. Uh, There's also been a lot about the increases in energy prices. How much of your energy bill is due to cooking? According to the OVO Energy website, 4 to 30% of the average household's electricity and gas bills are down to cooking alone. The amount you're spending on gas and electricity... uh, and how much it contributes to climate change depends on how much you cook and how efficiently you use energy in the kitchen. This is an enormous topic. So earlier in the week, I asked Nicola Terry, an environmental consultant who volunteers with Cambridge Carbon Footprint and Transition Cambridge, and chef consultant and food writer, Rosie Sykes, for some pointers on the issue.
2: When it comes to cooking and things, Electricity is generally better than gas because it's more efficient and it has... um, In terms of carbon emissions per per unit of energy, they're about the same now, but the electricity is usually more efficient, so so it's winning, and electricity is getting better all the time anyway. So that's good.
6: Right. Why is electricity more efficient? Are the electric ovens better than gas ovens, say?
2: Well, yeah, because... It's historical, really. I think they used to be all terrible. Um, but then the um, EU introduced these energy rating systems and applied them to electric ovens, with the result that the manufacturers all want, of course, grade A, so they make them much more efficient, and they've now got lots of insulation and things, which means they heat up quicker. And I mean, basically, if you're in the kitchen and you turn the oven on and the whole kitchen is getting warm, then you've got an inefficient oven because it's heating the kitchen and not just the food. Um, and that, that sort of principle applies to all sorts of um, cooking things. If you're using a, a gas hob, um, they're not very efficient because a lot of the heat goes into the room rather than into what you're actually trying to cook. Um, so you tend to get a very warm kitchen. Uh, but an induction hob, you know, really efficient. Only goes into the pan, it's great. Although you also get a warm kitchen from steam. Keeping the steam in is another really important thing. So keep your lids on your saucepans, that kind of thing. If your kitchen is getting warm, you are wasting heat.
6: And of course, you can use the steam to cook other things. Here's Rosie Sykes.
2: I do
7: quite a bit of just steaming over a pan of water that I've got on to boil
2: vegetables in or, or, or cook some pasta.
6: What about using pressure cookers? Nicola.
2: Pressure cookers are good, actually. Exceptionally good. I was surprised at that when I looked at it. But it's because they only use a small amount of water because heating water is quite expensive.
6: Rosie Sykes again.
7: I have not used a pressure cooker for years, but I am very, very interested in it. A friend um, has just finished and will be publishing, I think it's coming out next year, on Quadrill, a new pressure cooker book. Um, but I certainly know they're brilliant from an energy point of view because they're just so incredibly quick. And I think once you have confidence with them, she, she bakes cakes in hers and roasts vegetables by sort of, it's a sort of dry, steam, roast
2: thing.
6: And here are some other easy ideas.
2: Don't overfill your kettle. Don't put too much water in the the saucepan because it it takes longer as well, but it's using more energy to heat water that you don't need. So that's kind of important. And also, when it comes to water, washing up. I mean, you know, if you put everything in the dishwasher, fine, because dishwashers are very efficient. But if you're washing up by hand or if you're washing up as you go along you go washing up as you go along you tend to sort of run the hot tap all the time and you're constantly using hot water and that's really inefficient so batch it up save it until you've got batch then do it in a basin if you can obviously buy in season and, and buy local because that gives you a short supply chain
7: really nice if you're able to go to the market or when you're in the supermarket um, really look at where things are coming from we're all much more aware of that now but you know there's we're in a really bountiful time in the uk for the kind of vegetables that suit this weather so you know all the lovely roots and squashes and brassicas and there are so many wonderful and exciting things that you can do with those but i think we are really lucky in this country that we now have so much bounty we've got the wonderful hodma dodds who are growing all these incredible pulses all around us you know they grow beans at wimple hall which is just down the road if you go on their website they have loads of brilliant ideas of things you can do with their um products so that's they're always a good one to look at
6: Another issue is the release of methane by cattle and other ruminants like sheep, as well as their increased carbon dioxide production compared to plants. So, what about replacing dairy milk with soya or oat milk?
2: From the point of view of carbon emissions, definitely good, excellent, um, no question. I do have some slight concerns in that some of the um, protein substitutes, you know, the, the milk substitutes and, and other meat substitute things, are not actually as nearly as nutritious as the. Is the thing they're replacing. So you do need to look out, read the ingredients. I mean, you know, if you're reading, if you're buying chicken nuggets and they've got about a tenth of protein of the proper chicken nuggets, then well, it's no wonder they're cheap. But um, you get what you pay for, I'm afraid. So that, that is an issue. But other, than I mean, in terms of carbon emissions, they're great. There are other um, uh, environmental impacts that some people worry about, in particular water consumption. But I'm not a specialist in that area.
7: I personally have really cut down on my meat consumption i only eat meat which i know where it's come from and i only buy it probably once a week if that same with a bit of fish i think this is a really easy way for us to just change our own footprint a little bit and with the prices of meat going up it means it's much easier just to Budget to spend something on decent meat, not as regularly. so I think that's a, a really important point that uh, we don't we don't need meat all the time. Um, it's just something that we're very much in the habit of. and then things like chorizos or or cured meats that you can cook with are really great because they just can live in your fridge or you, if you've got a cool larder for a long long time. And can add a bit of depth and body to things as well.
6: And cooking, you've mentioned that electric ovens are better than gas ovens as far as heat loss is concerned, and pressure cookers. What about microwaves?
2: Microwaves are pretty good. Um, they aren't 100% efficient. Um, they're usually about 60% efficient, but that's still an awful lot better than a gas hob. One thing I wanted, I meant to mention, food waste. You know. If you grow the food and then you throw it away, then that's a whole load of wasted carbon emissions. So really important to be efficient with, with what you buy and you know only only buy what you're going to need, what you're going to cook and, and, and don't waste it.
6: And shop where they do things like sell wonky vegetables.
2: Well, I, yeah, I mean, why not? For goodness sake, you know, if you're going to put it in a stew, it hardly matters, does it? <laughs>
6: Tristan Welch of Parker's Tavern is a particular advocate of using food that would
1: otherwise be wasted. Rubbish Cooks is an evening which actually was started by myself and another fellow chef, Alex Rushmer at Vandelal. We were down the pub chatting away about suppliers and things like that. The day before, I'd met a meat supplier who said chicken legs are surplus to requirement now and now considered waste due to the sheer demand of chicken breast. So I told Alex this, and then we discussed it for about three hours over about three or four pints. And it's just a shocking thing and and horrendous and how privileged we are to live in a society where we eat chicken breast meat over leg and in my house we consider the leg more flavorsome and more delicious than the breast meat but anyway with this revelation which shocked us we thought we should do something we should do we should we should highlight this so we spoke to all our suppliers and said hey you know if you've got a, anything left at the end of the week that you can't sell uh, or what would go to waste if you give it to us we'll do a, a pop-up and give the money to charity
7: and look out for local growers sometimes they find themselves with more than they can sell or deal with so you could get it you know sort of a little glut of something and preserve it i'm just busy making a lot of green tomato jam which is really nice to have with cheese and meat it's not really a jam it's more like a it's not quite a pickle but it's lots of lemon and green tomatoes it's really lovely So look out for those things or in the supermarket, anything that's going a bit cheap, look where it's come from
6: and do something with that if you can. Chopping food up smaller can help save energy too.
2: Absolutely. I mean, um, if you chop it up small, it takes less time to cook. There's no question about that. If you're making a sofrito, which is
7: the Holy Trinity, how you start a, a stew or a anything really if you want to get a good amount of flavor in Uh, perhaps go for cutting it really really small and if you don't have the time or the you find that really hard grating works really well with carrots uh, any root vegetables a bit harder with an onion but you can grate an onion or put them into your food processor it's a very quick and speedy you know just a little pulse and you'll have a very nice little confetti of things to start off a dish and having them much smaller means that they're going to cook a lot quicker sweat down a lot quicker so again you won't be using quite so much energy batch cooking is a really good way to save energy making big amounts of things and then if you've got space in your freezer freezing them so you have them for other times there are other ways of keeping things for a bit longer but if you, if you, for example, make a very simple tomato sauce, you can turn that into so many different things that even if you don't have freezer space, it doesn't mean you have to eat the same thing every day. So it could be on a Monday, it, you could just have it with pasta. On a Tuesday, you could add some lentils or beans, maybe some chili. You know, the following day, you could try having it with some sausages, there's so many things you can do. Tomato makes a really nice base for a soup, so a curried soup or a beetroot soup. So the flavours can change within what you've sort of started. So I suppose, yeah, those, those are a couple of the things that I find work really well. On the batch cooking, you could do the same with rice, but you have to be a bit careful about cooling rice down well, but then it you know, fried rice is wonderful, isn't it?
6: There are no health concerns about eating reheated rice.
7: Not if it's reheated properly and it's been cooled properly once you've cooked it. So, for example, if you cooked a large amount of, a, a decent amount of rice and you knew that you were only going to eat a third of it, if you cool the other really quickly, so put it really flat on a tray, perhaps with some ice underneath it as long as it gets cold very quickly and then you store it well um to reheat it properly is absolutely fine the the danger zone is if it's been hanging around and bacteria is able to multiply at the zone which is i can't remember exactly what the temperatures are but they're warm essentially so so rice, rice is absolutely fine as long as you watch how you treat it. It's all about planning, really, isn't it? You, If you want to save energy in the kitchen, you need to plan how to use the energy that you've got going on, be it a hob or the oven, for more than you were planning, if that makes sense. So really have a a sort of timetable and you can you really can you know you can really fill an oven very handy if you can do that i Mm. have to say
6: Yes. Oh, many thanks to Nicola and Rosie. Uh, As I said before, this is an enormous topic and we certainly haven't had time to cover all aspects of it. Uh, There's some more ideas on the OVO Energy website if you want more. Uh, Nicola has a blog with lots about energy saving in the home, uh, not just food by any means. Uh, And uh, if you're interested in that, try putting Nicola Terry blog into your search engine and that should get you to it. And Tristan Welch's rubbish cooks is on monday evenings once a month at parker's tavern Uh, reservations sell out very quickly so keep your eyes on social media for the next one which will be in uh, about four weeks time uh, and one other thing, the book that Rosie Sykes mentioned about pressure cooking is by Catherine Phipps. Uh, Catherine already has a book on the subject, but this is a new, expanded one. It will be published by Quadrill on the 3rd of March next year. Uh, it will have more than 200 recipes, uh, and I hope it includes how to bake a cake in a microwave. Um, If you have her citrus or leaf books, you'll know that she researches her topics extremely well. So that book is well worth waiting for. Do either of you use a pressure cooker, by the way? I haven't used
0: one for a long while. I used to, when I was at a food teaching, I used to teach students how to use it, not to be scared of using a pressure cooker. I must admit, I tend to use a slow cooker
6: more than a pressure cooker now. Yes, well, they're energy-saving too, aren't they? Oh, they they are. They're excellent. Yeah, Yeah, yeah,
5: yeah. Do you use one, Matt? No, I do have one. Uh, I just haven't got around to it. I'm very slow to use it, unfortunately. <laughs> I'm keeping it mint in box well done. <laughs> to retain its value. Mm. One,
6: of the, one of the things I, I came across when we were researching this, I don't know whether Nicola mentioned it or Rosie mentioned it or I read it somewhere, but because, as Nicola says... Uh, electric ovens are very well insulated. If you're cooking something in an electric oven, you can turn the oven off 10 minutes before the end of the cooking time and the heat is, will still be sufficient to finish the cooking. And, mm-hmm. of course, the the energy saving is actually quite significant. So there's another idea for I like you. that
0: really good tip. I will practice that. <laughs> <laughs>
6: well, I did last night and it worked. Excellent. <laughs> <laughs> And now, details of free food available in and around Cambridge. The information about what's available and where to get it comes from the Olio app, which exists so that
5: people's or businesses' surplus food doesn't go to waste. That's right. Uh, Olio, spelt O-L-I-O, it's a free download to your smartphone. Once you've done that, it picks up your location and it tells you where the free food is. So, here is a mixture of what was on Olio recently and currently. Now, Rachel on Cherry Hinton Road was offering four gluten-free Pitters and some new potatoes. Jen, who is also on Cherry Hinton Road, had those rather large-sized tubs of strawberry skier yoghurt. Uh, Mali, on Newmarket Road, had bread and lots of it. Three loaves of borough brown sourdough, three loaves of white sourdough and a malted wheat loaf to give away, as well as a variety of fruit. Two punnets of closed-cup mushrooms, lemons, limes, ginger, coriander. Very generous is Mali. And H, who lives on Mill Road near the mosque, also has two bunches of bananas currently available. And and finally, Carol. Carol is the one with all the pret-a-manger food to give away, including falafel, avocado, and chipotle fat breads, chicken pesto and rocket wraps, honey granola and yoghurt pots and currently she also has white batons and baguettes from Tesco she's also got several loaves of gluten free sliced bread, also available right now nothing wrong with any of this food by the way, it's just close to or on its sell by date and it's free to those who can come and collect it Fantastic, Uh,
6: and another free app called Too Good To Go has unsold food from restaurants and shops often at less than half price and rather than specifying each leftover item, the surplus food is simply packaged as a magic bag, ready for you to take home instead of being binned at the end of the day's trading. On to our first news roundup now, beginning with street food. At the Plough in Great Shelford on the 10th of November, it's Steak and Honour. On the 16th, it's Wandering Yak. And on the 17th, Kerif Catering. And that's a fusion of Jamaican and
5: South African cuisines. The Queen's Head in Newton has Jamra's Middle Eastern inspired food on the 10th of November. And Jamra will be at the Red Lion in Streatham on the 19th of November.
0: At Thirsty in Chesterton Road. On Tuesday the 9th, it's Vonnie's Balkan Express. On the 10th, it's Oreno. 11th, Pizza Mondo. 12th, The Cook's Nest. And 13th, Nana Jude's.
6: Uh, Gourmandise has some classes coming up for making Bûche de Noël or Yule log. The classes are hands-on, and you take your creation home with you. They're suitable for freezing, and they'll keep till Christmas. The price of the class, which includes lunch and a glass of wine, uh, lunches made by Corinne, is £110. Dates available are the 20th of November, the 26th of November, and the 4th of December.
0: Cambridge Wine School is starting a four-part France vs New World blind wine tasting course on Tuesday evenings from the 9th of November. You compare French wines with wines made from the same grape, but in a different climate. There are four places left, or at least there were, when we had last looked on Wednesday. The classes are held at the Ibis Lounge near Cambridge Station, beginning at 7pm. The cost is
5: £110. And Cambridge Vinopolis in Devonshire Road is also running an old versus new world wine tasting this week. It's on the 10th of November, so... Actually, that's next week, isn't it? <laughs> oh, dear. And uh, the tickets are £35, and the week after, on the 17th, it's Ana Rola of Roller Wines in Portugal. She has a selection of seven of their wines to taste, and that's £30 to book. Um, Cambridge
6: Cake Creators is a group of enthusiastic cake decorators who meet up to share ideas, improve their skills and learn new techniques. They meet on the third Thursday of every month at Stapleford Jubilee Pavilion from 7.15 till 9.30pm. Anyone visiting for the first time pays half price, that's £5 entry. And on November the 18th, Margaret Baldry from Prestige Cakes will be demonstrating how to decorate your Christmas cake using festive flowers. Each meeting includes tea, coffee and cake and the group caters to all levels, so beginners are very welcome. For more information, ring Vanda on Cambridge 561053 or you can email vanda.butler at googlemail.com.
0: There's a new beer from Calvary's, and in the spirit of low food miles, it's made from hops grown on the
5: community orchard at Midsummer Common. It's called Midsummer Common, too. Mark Poynton is head chef of MJP at the Shepherd's Pub. His first book was published yesterday, and here is Mark talking to Sue about it.
8: My first cookbook, it's just food, is released on the fifth of October this year. Over the last five years, the publisher has been chasing me to do it, and I didn't think that time was right in the previous restaurant to do it. It seems a few years on, a bit maturer. You know, I'm a bit older, I'm forty now. If I actually look back at what I have done, from Alimentum, from Midsummer House to MJP at home to MJP at the Shepherds, I've actually got quite a lot of dishes that I can I can talk about and write about. So yeah, it was born out of publisher chasing me for five years, and me actually realising I've got enough stuff. But it. so it's so actually. Quite Quite a big selection of dishes, there's 70 recipes in it. It's pretty much in the format of the shepherd's menu, where snacks, cold plates, meat, fish, plant-based dessert. And then there's also a selection of the MJP at Home dishes as well for people that that ordered from me. During the lockdowns, so that we actually see some of the, the best selling dishes from there in the book as well. Yeah, I think uh, people want that as well because, you know, even though I am a bit of a, a fancy chef, if you, if you put one, I don't know what people people class us as here, but uh, we're definitely the upper end of dining. And I didn't want people to think, oh, I'm not going to buy that book because it's going to be dishes that I can never achieve at home. I wanted things people can actually relate to. There's, obviously, there's a bit about me in there, my life, childhood, growing up, uh, my years as a chef. A lovely forward from Mr. Daniel Clifford as well. So it's, yeah, it's, it's a good read and a fair chunk of recipes. I mm. don't like I'm selling.
0: It, don't i yeah you do a bit but <laughs>
6: <laughs> uh, pudini is doing a christmas day box it's a fully prepared lunch with a choice of starters and desserts they're available for collection from the pudini hq in willingham on the 24th of december each box is for two people and it costs 80 pounds you'll need to order before 8 p.m on the 17th of december
0: Hill Street Chocolates has launched an advent calendar filled with luxury chocolates. The Cambridge Shop in All Saints Passage is open on Fridays from 11
5: until 3 and Saturdays from 10 till 4. Bumble and Oaks new chocolates, Grey, a non-binary Earl Grey and Lady Grey, are available now from Barbarella in High Street Chesterton and available from Meadows in Eltersley Avenue.
6: Roberto on Cambridge Market, he's there every day except Friday, has what he says of the best Italian panettone ever. Not cheap, but superb quality. Made by Bassari.
5: Cambridge Cheese Company has partnered with Rutherford's Punting to offer picnic packs to enjoy whilst punting along. Each pack contains a British cheese board, crackers, cheese crisps, a range of olives, antipaste and meze items, a pack of charcuterie and a locally made Scotch egg or pork pie. And you can order that from Rutherford's website.
0: Steve Thompson, the foraging chef, has a pop-up in Bar Hill coming up. Here's Steve with the details.
9: We're going to do a bit of a hometown pop-up. So for me, hometown is kind of split, so it's Cambridge and St Ives. So we're doing it halfway in between and we're going to meet at Bar Hill. Cambridge Bar Hill Hotel are hosting our pop-up night if you go onto our website www.theforagingchef.co.uk forward slash pop-ups you can book tickets the menus are all over our social medias at the moment we've got some really fun things coming up though we're um we're combining a little bit of our forage food with a little bit of food history and things like that so we've got some wonderful viking blood bread that we're going to be doing which is a really nice way of then preserving the blood in an animal, but by using dehydrated bread so it's gonna be a really fun course where we're rehydrating bread at the table we've got the hen of the woods kimchi we've got partridge kebabs we've got some wonderful vegan food as well so we really do pay as much attention to that and that's as much of our signature as anything we do with meat and fish so yeah have a look on our socials book a table it's nine courses for 65 pounds and it's all booked through the website the dates are the 23rd and 24th of november about a week before we close the booking off so we know what we've got. So please do get booking as soon as possible, 23rd and 24th of November, Cambridge Bar Hill Hotel, booking on my website.
6: Uh, Sets in Mill Road is opening for lunch from Thursday to Saturday, and that's starting on the 18th of November, and it will be for a set menu du jour. Uh, two courses £20, three courses £25. Uh, very reasonable indeed. And uh, we're sitting here in the studio, and we have today... Uh, a copy of the Financial Times with us, which we bought because it has a particularly interesting uh, section on food. And Sue, so you're a food historian. Are you finding it particularly interesting? I'm
0: finding it very interesting, and it's called What We Ate: Fifty Years of British Food. There's an introduction by Tim, our local Tim Hayward, of course. Well, about... he's just
6: tweeted to say he's had an extraordinary amount of response to it. So I uh... bet he has. Yes, <laughs>
0: yes. No, it's really, really good. And then Polly Russell, who's a superb historian curator at the British Library. She has done a sort of lovely section on food throughout that period and investigates five dishes, including coronation chicken from the 50s, spaghetti bolognese from the <laughs> 60s, nut roast the 70s. Mm, yum! And... Ending up Trois Sorbet for the 1980s. No, sorry, Creme Brulee 1990s. So what more could one well, we want? I think I
6: missed out on Trois Sorbet. I had lots of spag bol, but... Uh, oh, not the Trois, not the trois Sorbet. Sorbet. <laughs> but there is a recipe there for it, so uh, all is yeah, not lost. There is indeed, exactly. <laughs> right, and we'll have more news later, including Van der new collection service and a pub reopening. We're off for a two-minute break now, and in part two, among other delights, we'll be getting some ideas for cooking cauliflower as well as hearing from Steve Thompson again this time on November Foraging See you in a minute Cambridge 105 Radio
7: In 1960s Cambridge you might have shopped at Joshua Taylor gone roller skating at the Corn Exchange and seen the Beatles perform live at the Regal Cinema On Sunday mornings John Gannon takes you back in time with hits and memories from the swinging decade John Gannon's 60s scene Sundays at 8am on the station that's live and
0: local Cambridge 105 Radio Looking to buy a new home this summer, but it feels out of reach? Then getting on the property ladder just isn't an option for you. Think again. New homes in Haverhill and Cottenham are available now with shared ownership, with your mortgage deposit as low as from £4,000. The final two- and three-bedroom homes at Bower Place and Boyton Place also have exclusive incentive packages available worth over £2,500. With £1,000 shopping vouchers, £500 towards your solicitor's fees, and three months rent-free, book your viewing today to... To find out what's on offer. Reserve from just £99 and find your new home this summer. Think shared ownership. Think Complete Moves. Visit complete-moves.co.uk or call 20 3640 711 today. Terms and conditions apply. Need dropping off at work? Miss the bus and must make that urgent appointment? Need picking up after a night out with your mates? Panther Taxis is your Cambridge-based taxi firm with over 700 drivers, offering great rates and local knowledge, ensuring you make it quickly and safely to your destination. We don't inflate our prices at peak times, and all our drivers accept payments by cash or card. Book your taxi the easy way. Download our free Panther Taxis app through your app store and start booking your taxis on the go. Call Cambridge 715-715 or see panthertaxis.co.uk. Santa Taxis, your local quick, reliable and friendly taxi company in the city.
4: Cambridge 105 Radio.
0: Welcome back to Flavor and to Steve Thompson who has some ideas for foraging this month. I chatted with him through sadly a rather heavy cold earlier in the week. We're coming into that lovely late autumn season. There's some interesting things, particularly on the fungi front, to be foraging.
9: Yeah, so basically, we've been out picking loads of mushrooms at the moment. So, we're going to talk about three sort of easy, certainly, two of them are beginner mushrooms, and one of them is probably a bit more intermediate, and just how to identify them, what to look out for instead, and Sort of where to find them really. So the first one we're going to speak about is field bluets. It's a really nice, easy beginner mushroom. There really isn't, if you pay attention to detail, anything you can really confuse it with. Another common name for them is uh, blue legs. And it's because their stem is blue or lilac. It's quite a chunky stem. It's a little bit fibrous. If you pick the mushroom, turn it over. They've got lovely white gills. They've got a nice smooth kind of grey beige, light tan kind of cap. But it's got a really nice smooth feel. Not quite velvety, but you'll know when you find them. And they like to grow sort of in rings and groups, but in fields, like as the name suggests, field bluet, But they will also grow on the edge of woodland. And to be honest, the whole bluett family like to grow wherever they want. Basically wherever they like, but... Outside your house, I know, Sue, they grow loads in the grass. I've seen plenty of people picking them. So when you're walking your dog and things like that, looking in the long grass and you should be able to find them. But the blue legs are really with the nice tan cap and the white gills are a nice, easy... When you say blue stem. legs, you mean stem? Yeah, yeah, blue stem, yeah. Yeah, exactly that. And it's a nice, easy one to identify. Um, the second nice, easy one to identify that is a much more kind of prized delicacy, delicacy mushroom is hen of the woods or grifola frondoza, or as the Japanese call it, maitake, which is probably the most um, used mushroom that the Japanese use. It's really highly prized, and it is a lot over in restaurant kitchens over here and stuff like that. We use a lot of it, and we absolutely love it. And it's a great mushroom because when you do find it, you normally find it in good quantity. So we were out the other day, and we picked, It must. I think it was about 16 kilos, we picked in about 10 minutes. And they're a big mushroom so you're looking for this mushroom you're looking at the base of trees specifically oak and big oak trees so look at big round oak trees look i always find them on the side that's not on the path so i presume they probably like a bit more shade that would what that tells me but the other tree to look for is sweet chestnut as well and they like big old sweet chestnuts as well they grow at the base of them on the floor as the name suggests, hen of the woods. They're called like that because they can look like the back of a hen. So it's kind of almost like a feathery, frondy kind of mushroom. It's got grey top to it, white paws, grows in a big cluster. There really isn't anything else once you see it that you could confuse it for. The only other thing maybe is a blackening polypore. But as the name suggests, it does blacken on touch or cut. And that is also edible. And it's a nice edible as well. So it's a really good one. Look around the base of oak trees for nice big kind of patches. Like I've seen them individual ones grow up to sort of like eight or nine kilos and I'm sure they could probably go bigger than that. That's enormous. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it is. They're absolutely huge and they're they're brilliant. They're beastly mushrooms. Um the other thing is as well is you want to catch them when they're young. They do get old quite quickly. When they get old they start to smell a bit. And they're just not as nice. I mean, they get a bit of a funk to them. You kind of, if you can catch them just at the right time, then you get a tiny bit of the funk, but they're still nice and fresh. And that's, that's when they're absolutely lovely. And what we do with that, we actually make a uh, vegan mince almost with it. So we cook big chunks of it down and then blend it up quite coarsely and use that as a mince replacement. Or on our next tasting menu, we also ferment them in a kimchi style. So we add the gukajan, the garlics, your gingers. Whether we use magnolia for the ginger flavour or wild garlics or anything like the wild alliums, we alternate throughout the season. But then, yeah, we ferment it like that, we dehydrate it, grind it up like a coffee, and then we can use it as a really good meat seasoning or a seasoning to go with your like mushrooms on toast and things like that, or whether we use it like a cup of soup, for instance, where you put a couple of spoons, top it out with boiling water and it's a nice afternoon kind of drink when you're not feeling well but it's another really nice and easy mushroom to identify so you've got field bluets hen of the woods both of those you can't really go wrong with the third one is a bit more of an intermediate mushroom but when you find it it's in absolute giant amounts and it's honey fungus or well, Armillaria melia is the most common one that we'll talk about um, the reason why i say it's a bit more intermediate is because you need to familiarize yourself with the gallerina marginata which is the funeral bell Ew. to be honest i don't think they really look that similar but as the name suggests it's a bad one full of amatoxins not good for you <laughs> so familiarize yourself with the funeral bell before you're going out honey mushroom honey fungus picking but again there is not something to be as scared of there are far more familiar looking mushrooms to that it's more of a disclaimer mm. um it's a mushroom that really needs to be cooked well. And it's another one that a small amount of people can get gastric upset with. I'm always a bit unsure about these. They give numbers for different ones. Like like shaggy parasols can be one in 25 people say you get gastric upset. I don't know where they get these numbers from. I've had these mushrooms on in the restaurant and never had any issues. So, I it, it, yeah, I don't know that. But try a little bit first. Leave it overnight. If you're good with them, then eat away as much as you like but it's got a very distinctive cap to it the honey fungus where it's got i mean the name of it is because they they're honey colored so that kind of tanny kind of light brown kind of color and it's got a really dark umbo well it's a very slight umbo but the dark center to it it's almost speckled and dark it's very distinctive though when you see it the umbo being... The umbo is basically the nipple in the top of the mushroom. Okay, yeah. And it's, it's quite a small one. It's not hugely pronounced on a honey fungus, but it is there. And the, certainly the centre of the cap of the mushroom is dark and speckled. And it's a really easy identification for the honey fungus. When you turn it over, the, it's got white gills. They're crowded. They join the stem. So they don't stop just before it. They do just join it slightly. And they do, with age, start to slightly brown... But yeah, you're looking for those nice fresh white ones. It's got a really thick scaly stem and it's got a really high up skirt to it. So the skirt, the ring, the annulus is the proper name for it, is up quite near the cap. So it's got quite a decent sized stem. And as I say, it grows in big patches. Normally on trees, it kills them. Deadwood, stumps, you might see it kind of branching away from them as it almost grows away from the tree. It will, There will be roots under there that it's growing off. But... It's, um, I think it's part of the mushroom that forms the, or is the mushroom, sorry, that forms the biggest living organism in the world, I believe. Yeah. is part of the Armillaria species. So, so it, it can get huge. So
0: it looks, it looks mushroomy, not brackety
9: fungus. Then. Yeah, very much a mushroomy one. Yeah, very much not a bracket fungus. Yeah. It spreads. It will cover lots of big areas when you find it. The mushrooms individually are smallish, but there is so many of them. So it's a really nice one. Once you've learnt to identify it, once you've checked you're good to eat it, then it's a really good one to pick in abundance at this time of year. And it's not a funeral bell. (laughs) And it's not a funeral bell, yeah. They're the ones to avoid. (laughs) Always best to avoid them. Other simple things to look out for at the moment on the non-fungus front is just your fruit, really. So we've still got apples and pears going everywhere. And everywhere I walk at the moment, you see crab apples lying on the floor and things like that.
0: Oh, what a waste. And it
9: is, yeah. And you see people buying them from the supermarkets. So please, stop buying your fruit from the supermarkets. Go out and pick it. Because there are crab apples everywhere, especially around Cambridgeshire. Every country road you go down, there's hundreds of them. Yes, there are, aren't there? Every hedgerow's got them, yeah, haven't they? Yeah, they're absolutely everywhere. So stop buying them from Tesco's or wherever you go. Yeah. And go pick them.
0: Yeah, and they make the most beautiful jelly.
9: They do. They're... they're Make, yeah, you can make beautiful jams, jellies, whatever you like, crumbles with them. Preserve them for as long as you like. They're free, they're better for you, they're not covered in plastic, they don't damage the environment, can be flown everywhere and grown in different conditions and covered in chemicals. So mm. do yourself a favour and forage for them instead. They're mm. yeah, nice and easy. And similarly, they'll go
0: well with game, won't they? Because that's oh, yeah.
9: a good time for this. Yeah, we're coming well, well We're smack in the game season at the moment. Yeah, it's lovely. So there's lots of things like that, quinces and uh, pears and... Oh, We've got some lovely peri vinegar that we're making at the moment, which is absolutely fantastic. So it's just getting to the alcoholic stage, so then we're going to start turning that into the vinegar soon. and It's going to be lovely. It's a nice, easy way to process it when we didn't have enough time at the... Excellent, clever at idea. the point of picking through the juicer and get them going. What we'll be looking at over the next couple of months is some of the berries that have survived a bit more. We'll look at some of the greens that are still kicking around and um, a few things like... How you can make your kind of Christmasy Christmas a bit more foragey.
0: Steve Thompson there, and a reminder of his pop up at Bar Hill coming up very soon. Check his social media for full details, including the menu. <laughs>
5: And there is the music, signalling time for the Twitter news. Yeah, Twitter and
6: Instagram, actually, and lots of it. Uh, Il Molino, who sells really good olive oil and the most fantastic Italian jams, uh, is on Donkey Common right now, Saturday, uh, by the swimming pool, um, as part of the Mill Road Winter Fair. And I think there's one or two other um, food stalls as well, and it's on the, both sides of Mill Road, actually. Uh, Grilla Kitchen is at Finboys today until 3 o'clock, and Finboys, which is 2 Um, Mill Road, number two Mill Road uh, also has lots of fresh fish on the counter, including brill and uh, and also fish sausages. Uh, Culinaris and Shelford Deli are both promoting their Vacherin Mondor, which is now in stock, a wonderful wintry cheese. The Wine Rooms has a gift, which is in Hills Road, has a gift box of Bollinger to celebrate Bollinger's 40 years partnership with 007. <laughs> and Thorn Wines also uh, has the most recent Bollinger as well, which is 100%. Pinot Noir. Uh, the Geldart Christmas Set Menu is being advertised. Two courses for £28, three courses for 35 Book by email admin at thegeldart.co.uk, UK or phone Cambridge 314 264. <laughs> Actually, we have, we have some YouTube news as well, which is unique actually. Uh, there's a, a thing on YouTube by Top Jaw, and I was eating uh, in one lunchtime in the Fish Butchery Finn Boys, and these two younger people came in with extraordinary amounts of energy and started filming. And fortunately, I've been edited out. Um, and what they were doing, they were doing 24 hours in Cambridge at various uh, top eating places and whizzing round on electric bikes they're actually buzzing with energy so they, they ate at Finboys, Boys they ate at Espresso Library The Old Bicycle Shop, Bread and Meat Amélie, uh, Jack's Gelato Mercado, uh Pint Shop, anyway here's a taste of it
10: Now we're all for delicate cooking and intricate flavours but we're two lads with very very big appetites And sometimes all we want is some spectacular meat served in bread. And we're here at Bread and Meat for exactly that. We're here to try the pork, the Philly cheesesteak and the honey soy chicken. Amazing things. Oh, and our dear friend, Chef MC, fed by George, cannot recommend this place enough. He loves it. So you can eat indoors, like here, like right now, indoors or outside. Not in their restaurant, but in the church garden opposite. Woohoo! This is the poutine. This is the Philly cheesesteak with poutine. Oh, I love how he pronounces
3: poutine. Poutine! It's poutine.
10: Bro, this is really, really, really good. Poutine is a French thing. Chips, cheese and gravy. Say French. I mean, it feels like a North of England thing, but... But this is peppery and delicious. I love a dish as heavy on the old pepper. (laughs)
6: Right. Well, that's an extract from Top Jewels, 24 hours in Cambridge. Very entertaining. You can find it on YouTube. Wow, high
0: energy. More news now, starting with Vanderlyle on Mill Road. For the second two weeks in December, Vanderlyle will be providing takeaway feasts for us to enjoy at home. The restaurant won't be open for inside eating during that period. Instead, you can pick up a meal from Vandelisle and take it home to heat up. It's a four-course festive feast with canapes, petit fours, and for the next morning, granola. The menu is aged cheddar with shortbread biscuits, swede and dill skagen with rye crumpets, sage and onion focaccia, White Bean, Brussels Sprouts and Pomegranate Seed hummus, Smoked Celeriac Winter Squash and Black Truffle Pie Cotswold Gold Roast Potatoes Red Wine spice Cabbage Braised Cavallonero nero, hodmedod's Carlin Pea Gravy And for dessert Poached Quince and Chestnut Winter Mess Cinnamon and Chantilly Cream And Dark Chocolate Medallions It all comes in a limited edition reusable canvas Vanderbag You can also opt for a cheese board and a selection of Sam's Fantastic Drinks. It's designed for two eaters, or multiples of two. And you can book on the Vandal Isle website, but it is selling out very quickly. It's £40 per person, which seems remarkably good value.
5: And there's a special meal celebrating game at the Cock in Hemingford Grey and the Crown and Punch Bowl in Horningsey. That's on the 18th of November, and at the Tickle Arms in Whittlesford on the 19th.
6: On the 25th of November at Mercado Central in Green Street, there's a sherry and food pairing dinner. The sherries include fino and manzanilla, and the food includes dishes with squid and iberico pork cheeks. The cost, £60 per head, and there are very limited tickets. Book via the Thorn Wines website. I mean, we were saying before how underrated... Sherry is so... Ooh, I love sherry. All and, different they, types. And it goes
5: so well with different foods. It does, it does. And there are so many different varieties to try. Indeed. Mm. Lovely. Well, today, Saturday at Thrive in Norfolk Street, vegan beers are half price. That's from 5 till 6pm. And there is tapas available to go with them. And we should note, Thrive is open until 11pm tonight.
0: Also, today, Saturday, at the Edge Café on Mill Road, there's a community fair and vegan cookery workshop running from now until 7pm. For those who don't know, the Edge Café is located at the Brookfields Hospital site. That's all the way down the bottom
6: at 351 Mill Road. And Pint Shop was eight years old on Thursday, so happy birthday, Pint Shop. Eight years? Does it seem like eight years? (laughs) No, it
0: really doesn't. Right. Yeah. They seem as if they've been there forever.
6: Yes, it does. Yes, I thought you were going to say it seems like yesterday, but yes, it does. Right.
0: Anyway, the Granter pub in Newnham Road has been refurbished, and it's going to be much more food-oriented. I spoke with manager Buckley Cipher about what to expect.
3: A lot of the things that are new here, one of them is going to be the menu. So it's a far more gastro, upmarket pub menu with high-end service with it as well a lot of the people that are coming in are high-end servers from rosettes and stars so they have that kind of service background behind them that we can put into casual dining into a pub and then there's the wine offering that'll go alongside that so while we'll offer a classic wine list Once a month, we're going to look into a far more premium wine tasting and seven-course tasting menu to go alongside it as well.
0: How long has it taken to do the refurb? What's particularly different about it?
3: We've been at it for two weeks now. A lot of what we've done has been restructuring on the inside and making sure that we've got a kitchen that can really push the outside. Some of it's been on our outside kitchen as well. So we've redone the outside kitchen. So we want to be able to offer Sunday roasts on a Sunday outside. Why not? We've got a lovely kitchen for it. And we've got the capacity to do barbecues and pies and fish and chips in there now, which is nice. The insides had a lot of paintwork done and so has the outside because it looked a little bit like it needed help, shall we say. tired, shall we say.
0: (laughs) In terms of suppliers, I gather you tend to prioritise local suppliers?
3: We do. And not just prioritising the local suppliers when we do things like our tasting menus. It'll be very local and we'll invite people along that really want to showcase their produce. And I'll be talking with them on how they want it showcased and what they want done with it so that we can do something very special with those people in and around the Cambridge area because we're only going to do it once a month. So it's a real opportunity for us to just go, this is very unique, to see what people have to offer around here and how they envision it being presented on a dish, ultimately, so that we get to work with them and do something that is different. And
5: here is a way that you can remember Stella Pereira, who sadly died earlier this year. Pear Pantry, the charity which Stella and her husband Carlos set up to support children in Africa, is having a fundraising sale of hand-carved pieces created by Carlos from oak tabletops donated by Alex Signorelli of Signorelli's Deli in Burley Street. The sale will start at 12 noon, it'll finish at 5.30pm on the 7th of November, and it will be held at Il Mercato by Signorelli, on the ground floor of the Grafton Centre. That's near where Amelie and La Latina Basterante are. Stella once said that every child deserves a slice of cake. So in memory of that, there will be cakes on sale too, donated by Bridges, Gourmandise, La Latina Basterante, Norfolk Street Bakery, Baking Gin and the White Cottage Bakery, and good on them. Indeed.
6: In our first feature today, Rosie Sykes mentioned the excellent vegetables that are around currently. Uh, One is the cauliflower, and I looked back in the Flavor archives and found this from Nazima Pathan, who used to run the Franglais Supper Club, and we wish she'd still did. Uh, It's from 2016, and it's ideas for cooking cauliflower, and what good ones there are. Now, Seema, you've you've got some ideas for cauliflower.
4: Indeed, yes. Apart from the usual uh, steamed veg side or having it in a cheese sauce, it's increasingly you know, becoming a star vegetable and often a main course vegetable. So, sort of cooking it in different ways. It's been used a lot in Indian cooking, as people will recognise within curries and within biryani rice, for example, um, particularly with potatoes and things, alu gobi, um, lovely curry. But now people are using it as a centrepiece. So for example, the big trend is roasting whole vegetables such as cauliflower and what we would suggest is first steam it because it's very big, steam it for a bit and then stick it in the oven on a low temperature and roast it for ages. What it does is that caramelises it and gives a really nice flavour. And People will often serve that up, you know, sliced into into thick slices as a as a, as a cauliflower steak essentially, <laughs> which sounds a bit radical. Um,
6: <laughs> well, but... actually, I, I roasted the cauliflower last Ooh. week for the for the first time, and it was very nice. It, is,
4: it gets a nice texture I had a, doesn't I was, it. I just
6: exactly what I was going to say. It yeah, has a nice it, texture. It just it yeah. doesn't
4: because you're not boiling it to death. It has a it still has that nice pleasant crunch of a, a raw cauliflower. Um. But uh, is again, slightly more digestible, I suppose, and not quite as sharp in taste. Um, and, you know, we've often, with supper clubs, what we've done is we don't do the whole roast cauliflower. We, we've we done florets of it. And then if you still roast that and char it a little bit, you can even put some parmesan over it and some olive oil or, or other other sort of toppings. And then once you've cooked it, you know, you can put chimichurri sauce or any, or any other kind of uh, herbal herbal dressings. It'd be really interesting. It could take on lots of flavours. So it's a nice... Uh, A nicer way of doing it. So that's one idea. Then another interesting thing is that people are doing these days is using it again as a meat substitute. So, sort of roast slices of cauliflower, which they call cauliflower steak, they are then putting that into burgers. So, you can make a vegetarian burger, but without, you know, a beanie burger. A cauliflower steak in it, and by dressing it up and putting all kinds of interesting sauces and other and toppings on, it's just a different way of doing it. And so, just as you have, for example, buffalo chicken wings, you you know you'll see on Pinterest and on the internet buffalo cauliflower, where you will make cauliflower fridges fry them, and then put them with the buffalo sauce. It's because it has a kind of decent texture that can hold up to cooking yeah. uh, and a nice flavour. That, I mean, I well, that, that
6: sounds rather nice, actually. Well, if you're
4: vegetarian yeah. and you're not a huge tofu fan, I think this is offers a good substitute for a lot of meat. Interestingly, Yotam Atalangi is a big cauliflower fan, and, and last year he put out a recipe which a lot of people made, which was a savoury cake, essentially a cake made with cauliflower, red onion, herbs... Um, so a bit of turmeric and then, you know, a nice big thick cake, which I guess would be a lovely breakfast kind of cake. So that was quite interesting. And then another interesting couple of developments that people do is is with all the trend for low carb living. Two ways of using cauliflower. One is that if you put florets of cauliflower into a blender with a load of water and whizz it for a couple of seconds, not too much so that it turns into juice... The first thing it's going to do is to blitz it into very fine grains that look like rice or couscous, and then you can drain that off. Uh, and it only takes about five seconds if you've got a decent high-speed blender, and you can eat, it can cook that, say, so stir fry it uh, and and make it like a sort of couscous or, or or a rice base. It's called cauliflower rice, in fact, and it's 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 low fat, it's healthy, um, and it actually tastes quite nice, and it's not too strongly. Flavored. So that's a nice dish. And then another new trend is, that, um, is the use of cauliflower with egg whites and almonds to make a kind of batter that you can bake to make a base for pizza. So cauliflower crust pizza, which is low-fat-ish because it's got almonds in it and gives it a bit of structure and holds it together. But low-fat, and again, it's uh, totally grain-free, gluten-free. So it's an interesting way of having a pizza if you are not wanting to have a normal pizza base. And, it, and it, I think it tastes quite quite nice because a lot of people are making it, so that's just another idea. So, yeah, right. I really like cauliflower. It's great. It's
6: a surprisingly diverse range, range of, of, uh, of ideas.
1: Yeah.
5: And there is Green Onion signalling the start of our job section. Uh, Cambridge Sustainable
6: Food needs volunteers for the afternoon of the 9th of November to deliver food parcels to local people and between 7 and 9am on the 12th of November to collect surplus surplus food from local supermarkets.
0: Histon Smokehouse is looking for a supervisor in its restaurant, full-time or part-time. Email histonsmokehouse at gmail.com or phone Cambridge four nine
5: one one seven four. 174. Fan sits in Mill Road needs one more front-of-house person aged 18 or over. There will be 10 to 15 hours worth of work a week, and the days are Thursday and Saturday, hourly pay and generous tips.
6: Pimp My Fish needs someone to look after its social media platforms. If you have some free time, and preferably some marketing experience, email john at pimp-my-fish.co.uk.
0: Mikado Central has vacancies for chefs and front of house with experience. Email info at
5: Midsummer House requires an experienced restaurant manager four days a week, also a commis sommelier again four days a week. For information, send an email to Nicole via admin at midsummerhouse.co.uk.
6: And here are some brief de- details of other po- uh, posts. Check their websites or social media, or pop in at a quiet time. Fitzbillies needs a sandwich chef. Ed's Diner in the Grand Arcade wants a daytime only chef. The tipsy vegan at the Quayside needs an experienced chef.
0: Chefs are also required at Sticks and Sushi in Wheeler Street, Byron in Bridge Street
6: and Wagamama. And finally, a head chef is required at Corpus Christi College. The pay is 45k a year. Girton College needs a sous chef. Downing College needs a commie
10: chef.
5: And that takes us to the end of our programme for today. Don't forget we are here on alternate Saturdays at 12 noon, repeated on Mondays at 6pm and Thursdays at 2pm. We'll also be available via podcast early next week. Coming up next on Cambridge 105 Radio this afternoon is Too Good To Be Forgotten, followed at four o'clock by Lucy Malazzo with a mix of guests from around the city. What you might have missed is at 6pm, looking at the major talking points in the city and South Cambridgeshire, O'Reilly Country is at seven o'clock, Renegade Rock is at 9, and Rock of Ages completes the day's broadcasting at 11. But
6: well, that's all from us. We'll be back on the 20th of November with lots more food and drink news, jobs and features. But until then, goodbye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.